Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wholesale Change, the webcast and podcast from Distribution Strategy Group, where we provide thought leadership for wholesale change agents like everyone on this call. You're probably a wholesale change agent or you wouldn't be here. If you're not, you might be disappointed. So I'd like to, uh, uh, well, actually, I should introduce myself. My name is Ian Heller. I'm with Distribution Strategy Group. I'd like to bring in my partner, Dr. Jonathan Bine. I'd just like to say that if Nate Silver is good at forecasting, then by comparison, Dr. Bine is Nostradamus. Well, with Nate Silver, the bar is pretty low. Nostradamus, hi, <laughs> but thank you. Well, we're not going to talk about politics, but you know we're in the you know right in the middle. Uh, this we're, we're recording this and broadcasting this episode uh, with the 2020 elections, at least the presidential part of it, unsettled. We don't know who's going to be the president for the next four years, so that's pretty crazy. But there are more important things in life, such as wholesale distribution. Right? You know, I love the smell of inventory in the morning, and uh, I assume you do too, which is why you're here. And today we're going to talk about something else that's happening uh, relative to the present and the future, which is disruption. Because we've been doing a lot of research in partnership with the National Association of Wholesaler Distributors, the NAW, the parent association for all distributor associations. And we have survey data from customers. So these are distributor customers, distributors and distributor suppliers, all of which reveal their sentiments about disruption, the state of disruption, the various technologies. We want to cover some highlights of that because we still get some people who say, wait a minute, we've been hearing this story for a long time. We heard about disruption in 2000. You hear that, don't you, Jonathan? Oh, yeah. Well, and you, we, we meet people who are debating if they should do something digitally, not how much, how fast, anything like that. And that's just shocking in 2020 going into 2021. Yeah, it, it is kind of interesting. It's like, well, are you not, I mean, did you just crawl out of a cave after 20 years? I mean, the whole world's digital. You can hardly do anything these days that's not digitally related. You know, I talk about, you know, digital marketing is almost a redundant term now because there is no marketing that doesn't have some digital component to it. And so the world has changed, but there are people who don't believe it. And I, and I think, you know, one of the reasons for that is they've been hearing it for so long. And go, go ahead, Jonathan. No, please, Ian, go ahead. You know, and I think one of the things that's happened is that there were technologies that didn't work before that are transformative now, but people get cynical. I mean, I remember when Apple came out with the Newton and everyone thought, well, that was a failure. You know, people aren't going to want to carry around something in their pockets that helps them schedule and take notes and access the internet. Now, of course, none of us can imagine living without a smartphone. And I also remember around 2000, they held these exchanges. Remember that? There's like industrial solutions and all these others. And these, they were going to uh, aggregate sellers online and create these incredible assortments. And Granger tried to launch one uh, uh, called Material Logic that Don Belinsky was behind, a real visionary, and that didn't work either. And so the notion for a long time was, well, websites are going to be exclusive to one company. You're not going to be able to combine the assortments of many companies online because exchanges didn't work then. But things have changed. The technology has advanced, and also customers' expectations have advanced. And so with respect to marketplaces, one of the problems we felt like we had to solve then and had to solve for a long time after that was, how do you provide for a single delivery? How do you consolidate 
multiple shipments into a single delivery because customers said that that was super important. That's no longer important. We don't care about that anymore. We all get multiple shipments from single orders from marketplaces like Amazon all the time. And we just assume that's how it works now, right? Well, yeah, I think, I mean, I think all this points to a sort of a broader thing that Gartner Group has named, you know, about the, the Gartner hype cycle. Mm, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Go ahead, though. Well, so the idea with the Gartner hype cycle is that a lot of technologies, um, when they get started, they reach uh, a peak of inflated expectations. And that's, that's why it's called the hype cycle, because the, the technology gets hyped. So when you get to the peak of ex inflated expectations, um, you, you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to slide off of that peak into what they call the trough of disillusionment. Hmm. Um, and then climbing out of the trough, you know, climbing up a little bit is the slope of enlightenment and then something known as the plateau of productivity. So I think, I think a lot of what we're going to look at today are technologies, uh, some of it, some of what we're going to look at today are technologies that have been through that cycle and that are now at that, that plateau where they can be realized and where the, the benefits can, uh, can go to the, to the users. Yeah, and some are still in that hype cycle, right? I mean, I think blockchain's there, but where it's been overhyped in the short term because it's really not, at least the applications aren't ready to transform industries. I think in the long run, blockchain is going to transform industries. Agreed. So let's jump into some of the data here. This was based on our distributor survey, uh, and we just have a few data points to share with you. So this all comes out of the NAW survey. There's a link to it at the end of the broadcast and uh, to the whole series. So 55% of respondents reported that they are currently using AI in various aspects of their business. So these are 55% of distributor executives said that their companies are currently using AI. This result surprised me, Jonathan. Absolutely. Um, I, I, was, I was delighted. I mean, admittedly, the, the audience, which is the NEW uh, reader list, or you know, however you, where, where do you call that list, their Membership. list, Right. Membership. Thank you. Yeah, that's a, that's a slightly more enlightened list. But even if I sort of discount the fact that it's a slightly more enlightened list, that was a really happy number to me. Yeah, me too. And I, we don't list the applications here, but the number one application, I believe, was inventory management. And that makes sense since that kind of working capital is such an important thing for distributors to manage well. Yeah, I mean, there were two. It was it was the warehouse and inventory management, and then it was marketing and sales. Um, right. And you know, so things like HR, which you have, you know, to be sure, you know, IBM is using AI for HR, you know, Google's using AI for HR. That's pretty far down the list for distributors at this point. Perhaps some of the largest are. Perhaps a, perhaps a Granger is doing something with AI for HR. But, but for most distributors, that's pretty far down the list, uh, as is using AI for strategic planning. So the kind of core applications right now are in the, are in the warehouse and in, in marketing and sales. Yeah, but they certainly see it coming for ordering. So let's start on the right here because we asked them what's the time frame in which product or item recognition. So this is, you know, holding your your phone camera up and taking a picture of an item and then having it match to a specific product on somebody's website. And that actually that all happens in the cloud, right? So that's an application that primarily operates in the cloud. You know, how long before that's going to be essential? We had some interesting data here. The there were, you know, fourteen percent who think that's important now, thirty-one percent within two years, and twenty-six percent 
within two to four years. So what's that? 45 and so 71%, according to my math, not that I should be doing math with Jonathan here, but it looks like 71% of distributor respondents thought that item recognition was going to be essential. You know, in other words, not optional. You have to have it within four years. Yeah, and just on that point, by the way, I shouldn't be either speaking or writing in Ian's presence, so that's the quid pro quo. <laughs> well, I talk, I certainly talk a lot more, but if you're doing the quality versus quantity, it's a different story, Jonathan. Get out of here. So 71% think it's going to be uh, essential. That's a strong word, and these this was a much stronger result than I anticipated. How about you? Absolutely. But I think also, you know, we're, we're going to look at the gap of, of where distributors are with this. And you're, you're hard pressed to find distributors that are deploying this right now. Right. Yeah. So Granger's got it on their app. Mm -hmm. We haven't tested it yet, but we will. But they're the only distributor that we know of. So, uh, by the way, we had a very, very useful email this week from one of our regular listeners who suggested that, first of all, we have an agenda at the beginning of this show. So I think I did cover a little bit of what we're planning to do. But also, he loves hearing questions from our audience, and we get a lot of them typically. So we would encourage you to please click on the Q&A or the chat and send us questions and comments as we go. We're delighted if you agree with us and probably even more delighted if you don't. We'd love to hear your opinions and uh, get your input on the show. So we try to read every question. We, only, we will only identify you by first name. Uh, and uh, but we'd love to love to get your input as we go. So thanks for the reminder from that very valuable listener. Now, the second thing we asked about in terms of ordering with AI was voice ordering, and these results were a little different, right? So within two years, you know, now it was only two percent. Within two years, was half for fifteen percent. Two to four percent. Two to four years was twenty-three percent. So this was what, uh, 37, 39% think it's gonna be essential in four years, is that right? Um, 45. 45, sorry, yes. 30, 30, 38, you're right, yes, 38, yes. Uh, now it's, it's, it's- In 23, it's, it's 38, yes. Yeah, but you have to add the 2% for now, so it's 40. Oh, 40, okay. Right. So. So 40% thought it's going to be essential within four years. Now, what's interesting is if you do Google research or online research like we do, voice ordering is considered a very, very hot topic. And voice, you know, Google says something like, you know, a third of total searches are executed by voice now. Now there's people search for a lot more than just products, but voice search, I think, is seen as more prominent and important in the tech community than it is among distributor executives. What do you make of that? Do you agree with that, Jonathan? What do you make of it? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, so if we use another um, model, which is Jeffrey Moore's crossing the chasm, um, you can see that the item recognition is going to be in the early majority within the next several years, right? And voice ordering will not be in the early majority in the next several years. It will likely still be in the um, early adopter I mean, right now it would be at the innovator stage, but I yeah. think in in the four to five year time frame, it gets to early majority rather than early early adopter rather than early majority. So I disagree with these findings to some degree. I think voice ordering is going to be bigger, and there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that there are smart speakers even more commonly than there are smartphones. So you have 
and every smartphone is a smart speaker too. So you have many more AI enabled devices that do voice than do image recognition because you have to have a camera. So you've got you know Alexa units and Google uh, units everywhere, and you have all the smartphones. So in aggregate, that's a much bigger number than the devices that have a camera in it. That's one. The second reason is that I can voice order while I'm doing something else, and I can't do that with item recognition. With item recognition, I have to stop what I'm doing, at least today, because it's not built into anybody's glasses yet. It will be. You know, there are, there's Alexa-enabled glasses, but they're just they're just voice-enabled right now. They're not image-enabled. So right. today, I mean, I can order while I'm driving, for example. I can order while I'm working. Voice frees me up to order while I'm doing something else or to search while I'm doing something else. Image recognition requires that I stop and use a device to aim it at something at least today. You know, so, you know, what do you think of those, of that hypothesis, Jonathan? I think it's fair. I, I think I think to add to that, you know, part of, one, one of the questions that we asked end customers, and I don't think we're covering it in, in, in this uh, discussion here, but one of the questions we asked them is, to what extent are you using something like Alexa at home? Because what people are doing in the B2C world, in the consumer world, is a predictor of what's going to happen in the B2B world. And um, and we also know in the consumer world, we, we all ask questions to, you know, to Google or to Siri or, or to whatever the, the smart smart um, agent is that we're working with. And so I think I think what we're going to see as sort of an on-ramp to the voice ordering is actually voice search, right? Yes. There's, le there's, there's less risk for me as a customer in doing voice search. If I get it wrong, I get it wrong. If I get an order wrong, well, you know, there's, there's more negative implications of doing that. So I think that's what we're going to see over the next couple of years is integration of, of voice search uh, as an on-ramp to voice ordering. And as people start to get comfortable with that, uh, we'll see the voice ordering pick up as well. You know, your cat was in the background, and it just occurred to me what a bummer it would be if you had a cat named Alexa. And you said, Alexa, come here and sit on my lap. And your speaker said, I can't do that, Jonathan. Yeah, you might get food. Alexa, it's time for dinner. Where would you like to order from, Jonathan? That would be like creepy. It'd be really creepy. <laughs> Have yeah. you seen but Alexa? My creepy, it's okay. Have you seen the Alexa Silver uh, sketch on Saturday Night Live? No. Oh, it's hilarious. Alexa Silver. It, so you just have to watch it. I, I, it's, it's, it's funny. It's inappropriate humor because it's Saturday Night Live, but it is funny. I'm uh, never above. I know. I know. We're, you know, scratch us and we're 16 years old. So, yep. but distributors are well aware of these technologies. Now, I've done some research around what it takes to get your product data ready for AI. And I think this is super important for distributors to keep in mind. The product data that you have today may not be in suitable shape to do either item recognition search or voice search. So a couple thoughts. One is item recognition usually takes images from, bunch, from a bunch of different angles, right? Because you're not going to match probably, you know, the, the, when the customer takes a picture of the product with their smartphone, the odds that it matches the angle and color and lighting of your single image are not good. But the more images you have, the more likely you are to match it. So that's one little tip. And then in terms of voice ordering, they say that you need very conversational copy. And you have to remember that people often pose voice searches in the form of a question, even when they wouldn't do that if they were typing it into a browser. Right. So, for example, if I type in, you know, uh, top five uh, 
best, you know, or best five best air air compressors in Google or five best two horsepower air compressors in Google, I might say Siri or Alexa, what are the five best air two horsepower air compressors? Because we talk to these voice assistants like they're people and you ask people for information. You don't speak to them in a sentence and expect them to reply like we do with a search engine online. Isn't that interesting? It's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a different medium for now. And, you know, search is a more terse and pithy type of uh, communication medium than, than voice search. Yeah. So. And so voice is conversational because we're talking and that's conversation. And so that means your product data has to include phrases that sound like answers to questions. So your product data, if you're an MRO distributor, might be the top five air, two horsepower air compressors are, right? Or, I mean, that's maybe not a great example, but you know, whatever the product is, it should include a conversational reference or a conversational response type of product descriptor. So I think that distributors have significant challenges, not because they're distributors, but because the world is changing. Retailers have the same challenges in making sure your product data is ready for this AI searching. And I don't think I've ever had a conversation with a distributor uh, who's doing that. Have you? I haven't, but we just got a great piece of input from one of our listeners. He says, my Alexa just answered your question on your compressor. Okay, Jared, give it over. What, what you got? <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I did, did it answer it to your satisfaction? Did well, you I like think the, the, the question is, did Alexa hear me talking and answer the question, uh, or did Jared try it out on, on his own? Because it sounds like what he's saying is he just had this webinar on speaker. Uh, wow. So So basically... Alexa picked up on our conversation in the background and then heard, I think it says uh, she did hear Ian, and then uh, wound up answering the question. Isn't that crazy? So in real time, Alexa's, Alexa's always listening, always present. That's pretty funny. Jared, thank you so much for that fascinating anecdote, you know, live in the middle of our wholesale. Jared, show. is there anything you need Ian to order for you? <laughs> Jared and I go way back, as it turns out. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and uh, I can tell you, he is perfectly capable of of ordering on his own. Uh, and and then we have this one quote from. Oh, let's let's go to marketplaces on this slide. So, podcast listeners, we also have a slide on this uh, or a, a graphic on this slide called "Marketplaces Opportunity or Threat." And uh, 182 distributor executives answered the question. Do you view marketplaces primarily as an opportunity or a threat? And uh, let's see here. 43% thought it was both an opportunity and a threat. 14% thought it was mostly a threat. 12% uh, thought it was primarily a threat. So you have the sort of general threat categories as 57, 69, roughly 70% see it as some form of a threat. But a significant number, almost an even number, a little bit less, uh, if you count the 43 both, so 43% viewed it as both. So if you allow that to be counted in both directions, threat and opportunity, then almost an equal number counted it as an opportunity as a threat. So did this did this data surprise you at all? No, I mean I think I think people are are looking at it appropriately. It, it, it objectively it is both an opportunity and a threat. 
I think I think for most companies that is the the, the correct view to, to some extent. So. Yeah. So I think you know, I think that third that 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 marketplaces that sell their own goods as well as third party goods are primarily a threat. Correct. So. Amazon and Walmart and other merchants who are running third-party marketplaces, unless they have very specific guarantees that they're not going to use your data and they're long-term and they're enforceable. And I think it's possible to, to structure the agreements that way, but unless they do that, then it just seems like it's a new product prospecting exercise for them potentially. And the Wall Street Journal has accused Amazon of cannibalizing SKUs from third-party sellers, even though they said they weren't going to use that data. And then, and it's hard to believe that they haven't, based on that feedback. And so I just don't think it's smart to sell on a third-party marketplace operated by a merchant. And you get into this different planning horizon where Amazon's willing to take 10 years to conquer wholesale distribution. Distributors want sales this month, this EBITDA this quarter. And so they make these short-term decisions that are highly tactical and they're just feeding information and letting these third-party marketplaces who are their own merchants develop intelligence and expertise to come after this business directly. Um, that's, I, Let's talk about end users. Okay. All right. Customers are buying more direct from manufacturers. Now, they're, they're more, of their, more of the purchases are going to manufacturers. They're buying more from marketplaces, and they're increasingly using AI-enabled ordering. So you did this survey on the left here about buying frequency, and you had a, a new category for the first time when you did this data, right, Jonathan? Yes. And so when we look at this, how people buy, we look at digital kind of versus other so if we if we conclude if we look at digital, we'd include website and mobile, email, marketplaces. We'd also include um, Punch Out and EDI, which are kind of to the right on this graph. They're not shown here. Um, and so the digital is is increasing. Um, and to your point, Ian, this is the first time we've seen marketplaces, um, and it was a it's a it's a big number relative to at least my expectation. I think maybe you thought this would would be in line. But then we also ask, you know, where is it going? Where do, where do we expect it to be in a couple of years? And people are expecting marketplaces. It's going to ramp significantly. Um, so it's it's a it's a strong acceleration of marketplaces in the in the digital uh, buying category. Yeah, and it looks like it's second to last, only because we left off everything smaller. So right. as you mentioned, EDIA procurement, there may have been others. We're also texting. On, texting. Okay, got it. We're also on this chart. And so marketplaces came out of nowhere because you've done this survey for a while, right? Right. Yeah, we've got we've got about twenty thousand responses total from about forty some odd distributors, and it's a good survey. I mean, you 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 can really start to gauge um, how digital or how not digital your customer base is, and that can inform um, strategic decisions around infrastructure, digital infrastructure, et cetera. Um, we've seen we've seen companies use this information um, to slow down their digital spending um, or to increase it based on what they're hearing from their customer base. So, anyhow, marketplaces is, is the new entrant here, and it's it's coming on quickly. 
Well, what's interesting to me is it's almost tied phone orders. Yeah, how about that? I mean, that's yeah. incredible. Uh, that's incredible. And, and it's hard to imagine that it's going to appear on the list in fifth place and not move up a spot next year. And it's not far behind buying in a branch or a store. I mean, it's... It could, it could be third in, in, in 18 to 24 months. Yeah, and it was way ahead of ordering from sales reps. Yeah. Yes. And this is consistent with other data we've seen. Digital Commerce 360 did a survey of distribution buyers and and their survey, those buyers reported that 24% of their purchases were already happening on marketplaces. Okay, then we asked, uh, how many marketplaces do you buy from? And we split the customers into a few different categories. <laughs> what jumps out at you here, Jonathan? Um, well, first of all, that a lot of people are buying from more than one marketplace. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's about two thirds are buying from more than one marketplace, right? Right, and the fact that some of these that a quarter are buying from a quarter or more are buying from five or more marketplaces, astounding. Yeah, yeah, that's what jumped out to me is that, and we've said this before, but the era of the company specific website as the dominant place to buy products appears to be waning, and people are buying from marketplaces instead. And we also asked customers what they felt about item recognition, voice too, but item recognition is the one that jumped out here. And what we saw was that a majority in every category, in all four segments here, thought that item recognition would be either important or very important in the next five years. Yeah, so the segments for our listeners are construction, manufacturing, retail trade, and then we had a broad other category. Right. Sorry. Thank you for saying that. And, you know, we're looking at, you know, over 60% or 60% at least are, oh, well, retail trade, it was 58, but the others were 60% or higher of respondents think that item recognition is going to be very important or important in the next five years. This is not going away. And this speaks to what we've talked about, which is that Amazon wants to remove the keyboard from the ordering process when they talk about how they want Alexa to be the all-knowing ever-present assistant who knows everything about every product ever made attached to a store that sells everything. So for voice and item recognition, they go around the clinky interface of the keyboard and the screen and they connect your brain to the computer with your voice or with images, which is a lot more efficient system. So I think it's inevitable. It's not gonna go back, do you think? Not a chance. Yeah, I don't either. Um, okay, anything else we want to say about customers before we move on? I think that's good. Well, I mean, the other one, actually, the, one of the other choices on buying was voice ordering, and and that's that would be at the innovator stage of adoption now by end customers in, in the B2B world. Yeah, and like I said, I think, you know, my view is that people are underestimating voice. And I've never, like, said that before, but... I don't know. You need you need probably need a chance to think about it. I'd love to get your opinion on it. Was that was that a question to me or a well, I don't know if you want to answer it, but do you think do you think I'm right about people underestimating the role of voice or am I overstating it? I think the value of it is huge. If if it works as advertised, the value of it is huge. And so I think that the from the distributor standpoint, the distributors who are 
innovators or early adopters with this technology are going to reap huge rewards with with their own customers. Because it's going to, it's just going to, you know, the, the staples, we make it easy. It is going to make it so easy to do business with customers that have voice ordering. Yeah, I said this before, but in all my years of business research, if I could sum up what customers are asking for in one sentence, it would be, please make my job easier. My guess is Staples ran into that same research, which is where they got the easy button and that positioning for their brand. Mm -hmm. But I also think that it's not like item recognition and voice voice ordering are unrelated. You really want to combine them, right? Talk, Talk about that use case. Okay, so you're on a job site and you're you're a construction worker and you're drilling uh, holes to put anchors into on a concrete job. And you see that you're starting to run out of stuff. So you've got Alexa-enabled goggles and you've got, uh, well, you got Alexa in your goggles and your headphones so you can talk to Alexa and you can do item recognition. You don't have to look up the product. All you have to do is look at the box that the bits came in or the epoxy came in or whatever and say, Alexa, order me another case of whatever that is and get it here as soon as possible. So you're using your item recognition. So you don't even have to describe the product. You don't even really have to know what it is because Alexa in many cases can figure it out either by recognizing the product itself or by looking up the order history to see what you last ordered and then say, oh, that's, you know, the epoxy came from app or whomever and here's the model number and here are the bits that you need and so alexa processes the order through your erp and it gets delivered you know 20 minutes later by a drone from amazon that sounds nuts but that's what where it's going it's within this decade it it is just like driverless cars right Um, so so we have a great uh question from from one of our listeners uh, really related to this point so the case you just gave was in construction And so our listener, Joe, says it depends on the type of B2B. If you're selling to a corporate PO that's generating, corporate PO generating business, voice ordering can be a challenge versus an over-the-counter buyer as a contractor. So, yeah, there are different different settings for where voice ordering has less relevance. Maybe the same thing for for OEM, right? If if it's an OEM or specified purchase. I, I think Joe's right today, and I think over time that businesses will find ways around that, where they'll just authorize people to buy stuff. Um, and the PO will be generated automatically through the system. Generate a PO to buy the following things. That that type of a language, right? Yeah, right. And uh, that's going to take a lot of work. But uh, I, I think for more efficient businesses, they'll find ways of making that. They're going to want those efficiencies because you know, whatever the cost of somebody buying the raw. And Joe agrees, by the way. Whatever the cost of of buying of someone doing rogue buying. It pales in comparison to a construction crew standing around with nothing to do. And you can say this, see the same thing in a manufacturing environment or in other environments where people are using this combination of item recognition and voice search to shop in the moment and multitask so they don't really stop working while they go. That's a really attractive productivity gain, I think. I think for our listeners, just a big takeaway here is that within this half of the decade, by 2025, you should be seriously thinking about how you get item recognition into what what makes sense for your business. Um, there's the customers are saying this is important, and it could become a differentiating thing that that keeps them more engaged with 
uh, your digital presence and therefore your company. Um, and there are third-party companies that have technology that supports some of this. We're actually doing some research into that right now. Um, but this is definitely one for our listeners to be considering. Yeah, and it, it's going to affect your strategic plans, just like right. you had to change and adapt strategies or develop strategies for e-commerce and e-procurement and EI as internet technology advanced over time. Here's a new one. And distributors who get really good at this are going to have an advantage because customers are going to want it. And there are leading disruptors right now who already provide it. So it's not optional, I don't think. Okay. And I think that's it. Uh, oh, no, we got manufacturers to go through, right? So we asked our suppliers uh, what they think about disruption. Here's a quote. Distributors bringing less value to the transaction. For years, the claim has been salesmen have a relationship to the customer. That is destroyed by COVID. Ouch. That was a comment from a manufacturer who took our survey. I think the salespeople still have value in many cases. So I think this is a little overstated, but clearly this distributor who's making channel decisions feels this way. What's what's your opinion of sales reps in general and, and what's been happening in terms of the distributor value add during COVID? Well, it's, it, there, there's directional truth in this ouch comment from the, the, the survey respondent. The directional truth is sales reps that play the role more of order takers for simple transactions are gonna be fewer and further between. They're gonna go away. Sales reps that add consultative value in more complex transactions, more complex customer settings, um, that's, that's going to be a growth part of the industry. So everything that can be done by self-serve for simple transactions over the next several years is going to go that route. Um, and that can mean, that can mean, this can mean mostly digital. Um, it's going to mean part in part talking to proactive inside sales or customer service rep. Um, but the field sales rep is going to be, is going to have a lesser role in as a result of uh, these dynamics. Yeah. And we have uh, a question from uh, a listener who asks, what does a manufacturer marketplace look like? Who else but them is in it? Yeah. So this is really interesting because there is this development in fact, I think uh, the listener is referring to some bullet points that are on the slide. So if you podcast listeners, one of the bullet points on the slide is that 50% of manufacturers intend to launch their own online marketplaces. So this was this is research that we've done and that has been validated in other places where manufacturers are actively launching their own marketplaces. So I think it's Honeywell Aerospace that's got one for aerospace products, et cetera. And so what's happening is, at least the way we, we see it, and I'd encourage you to jump in, Jonathan, is that distributors are frustrating their manufacturers with their lack of digital progress. Manufacturers are, they feel like when they can't get the digital capabilities out of, their, out of their distributors, the distributors are not allowing them to control their brand or they're not representing their brands well. And some manufacturers are saying, well, hey, here's a whole new technology that was never available before. How about I, Honeywell, launch an aerospace marketplace, and I'll talk to all these other aerospace manufacturers and see if they want to participate. So they're basically creating their own distribution entity, but it doesn't have any inventory. It just is an online place where people can see the superior assortment of products, and then each of the respective manufacturers do the fulfillment. So we're seeing these crop up, crop up primarily in verticals. Yeah, so I think I think Coburn, uh, th thank you for that question. I think there's a nuance here as to 
who is the owner operator of the marketplace versus who are the participant sellers. So what Ian described was the owner operator is a manufacturer who brings other manufacturers in. Uh, there are owner operator manufa manufacturer owner operated marketplaces that are bringing their distributors in. And then still there's a third type of manufacturer marketplace where it's a third party owner operator who's bringing multiple manufacturers in um, and not distributors. And so these are all variants of where the man manufacturer is, is in, in a sense taking a different route to market than your grandpa's you know, distribution channel. Yeah, great, great question. And we also discovered that 40% of manufacturers plan to sell direct to end customers, even with the risk of channel conflict. And Home Depot is moving into B2B more aggressively. Amazon business is skyrocketing in size. You've got all these pure digital distributors like Rock Auto and Webstrant Store and TruePar that have this incredible assortment, but in, at least in some cases don't stock a lot of inventory. And then you've got the rise of marketplaces, which people like Forrester are saying is real and the result of most of the growth of the online economy, which is a growing part of the economy. And then we have a chart on here where we asked manufacturers how they see their revenue by channel changing over the next five years. This was pretty devastating in terms of distributors. Jonathan, do you want to... I, I, and I think this ties to the title of our talk, Why Disruption is Real This Time. So right. we asked manufacturers, we asked dis distributor suppliers, where is your revenue by channel going to come today in five years? And the five choices were it's going to come through a traditional distributor, direct end customer, retail channel, a pure digital distributor, as Ian just described, Webstaurant, Truepar, et cetera, or a marketplace. So today... 66% of the, of the manufacturer revenue comes through traditional distributors. The, um, the shocking number is that they expect that to be 51% in five years. Incredible. So from their standpoint, 15% of their revenue is going to come from a different channel than a, different, than a traditional distributor. So if you are a traditional distributor, that's not 15% to you. That's like 22% of your revenue that may be shifted away from traditional distribution. Um, there, there may be ways for you to pick it up, um, but if this is correct, and we're, we're actually gathering additional data along this line, and it's, it's confirming this, um, then the pie is going to shrink. So the, the question is, how do you maintain a, a, a slice of the pie that's the same size, even if the total pie is, is shrinking. Let's look at the other parts of where the revenue is going. So 15% of the manufacturer revenue is going to shift away from traditional distributors. The big growth channels are pure digital distributors going from 5% today to 10% in five years, and marketplaces going from 4% today to 10% to 10 in, in five years. So those were the big winners, but also you have additional direct to end customer uh, that's growing from 17% to 19%. In, in large part, you know, why disruption is real today is that the taboo that manufacturers feel about going direct is dissipating. It is just disintegrating little by little. Um, and in addition, other revenue is going to go from uh, through retail channels, going from eight to ten percent. 
So all of these other four channels, direct end customer, retail channels, pure digital distributors, marketplaces, that's going to be a 15% channel shift um, from the manufacturer standpoint over five years. It's a devastating look at the future for distributors if distributors don't act. So two things I think are going to happen. First of all, distributors are going to respond, right? I mean, they're not just going to give up their market share. One of the things that's going to happen is there will be some consolidation because that's one of the ways you maintain your slice of the pie. And the second thing that's going to happen is they're going, distributors are going to hold onto their customers more tightly and make it less attractive for customers to buy directly from manufacturers by doing a better job with value-added services, by becoming more important to their customers. Distributors have enormous advantages and they're going to make those stronger. Not that there won't be some erosion, but they're going to fight back. Jonathan? Yeah, I, th I think you're right on. And Ian, you brought up this idea of simple versus complex transactions. So the simple transactions, a lot of those are going to migrate to uh, either pure digital distributors or marketplaces. It doesn't mean all of them will, but a material portion will. And so what, what the distributor is going to be left with is the places where the, the, the channel is really adding value to, to the product that's being sold. Now, an, another thing, by the way, is like, so, you know, we, we've been hearing this for years. We've been hearing for 20 years, since the dawn of this century millennium, oh, distributors are going to be disintermediated and manufacturers are going to go direct and digital is going to do this, digital is going to do that. We're finally at a point where that's starting to happen and accelerate in a meaningful way. So if, if the first 20 years of this century were about, you know, fraud getting boiled one degree at a time, the temperature is going to start changing pretty rapidly, right? It's not going to be a gradual thing. You're going to see a significant shift in, in the next five years. Um, so it, it's here. Yeah, I think we've seen this before. When Home Depot entered the market, a lot of the staff to houses lost a lot of share to them. And there were manufacturers who pledged that they would still sell through distributors only and not sell through Home Depot, and they would create secondary brands for retail. Over time, pretty much all those manufacturers just sold through Home Depot with a couple of notable exceptions. You know, I saw a steel advertisement the other day, SDIHL, the power equipment, not available in Home Depot and Lowe's. Well, generally speaking, advertising about where you can't buy my products is not ideal, right? And so, you have to wonder about the wisdom of that strategy and why some PE group doesn't just buy them and then sell through home centers. Maybe it wouldn't work. I don't know. There might be very good reasons behind it and I'll probably get hate mail now, but that's an exception. It's notable for being an exception. Those walls collapsed and those traditional relationships suffered. And eventually most of those manufacturers sold through Home Depot. And most of these manufacturers were already selling on marketplaces. I mean, we've done a lot of research in our partnership with the NAW, and we look at 40 different traditional manufacturing brands or, or tra traditional in the sense that they sold through distribution, 30 of them were already selling directly on Amazon already. So how are you going to compete as a third-party seller on a marketplace like that if your suppliers are also third-party sellers on that marketplace? Well, actually, they're not even third-party. They're first-party sellers. I mean, basically, they're just treating Amazon as another distributor. And a lot of them, almost half of them, were also selling on walmart.com. So you're seeing this collapse of traditional channels, and you ignore it at your peril. You have to replan your strategy with that in mind. And I think just to clarify your comment on steel, we're not talking about dopes. I mean, if they're doing this, right, they must have thought this through. 
they're a great company. I'm not putting them down at all. Uh, right. I'm saying we're not dealing with dopes, right? No, right, right, right. Right. They, they must have put some thought into why they did this unusual move. Yeah, maybe it's well justified. I don't know. Seems odd to me uh, that every other manufacturer is wrong and they're right. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, more hate mail coming. Okay, so we're about to wrap up. We just want to remind you that we do this show almost every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific time. But I also want to tell you that all the data that we reviewed today, every single bit of it, came out of this series that we're doing with the NAW. And you can read all of that research at naw.org slash transform. That's naw.org slash transform. And the series is called How Technology Will Transform Distribution. We're doing the fifth broadcast in the series. So this, this is the presentation of our, of our fifth research report in the form of a webinar on November 17th at 2 o'clock Eastern Time, 11 o'clock Pacific. You really don't want to miss that. Just so you know, we have about 500 people sign up for these webinars. So it's getting a lot of play and distribution. You really don't want to be left out because everything that we've said today we said earlier on these broadcasts, a little bit more color commentary today. We've had a little t- time to think about it. But if you want to first look at this data, you really should sign up for the NAW series. Uh, you can subscribe to the series uh, or the events one at a time. But go to that URL. We'd love to have you on that program and get your questions there as well. And of course, we are Distribution Strategy Group. We provide consulting analysis and business intelligence to the wholesale distribution industry. Uh, my email is iheller at distributionstrategy.com. My, my smarter partner, Jonathan's, is jbein, B-E-I-N, at distributionstrategy.com. So thank you so much for listening today, Jonathan. I'll be talking to you later today on a variety of other topics, and we'll see all of you, I hope, next week here on the Wholesale Change webcast and podcast. Thank you so much for attending, and have a wonderful day. Bye now. We'll make it.